Hi, this is Claire from Comeback Brighter. Now, for this week and for the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing something slightly different. I'm going to be interviewing or speaking with a guest that I got where we're going to be talking about our previous relationships. So listen on, carry on listening for part one. I'd like to welcome to my special podcast, uh, Jenny Long who um, we're going to have a chat today. We're going to have a chat about um, the reflections that we've got on our previous relationships and where we are today. And the intention of this podcast is really to bring an awareness of toxic behaviours and to bring hope as well. So I'll go first. I'll talk just a little bit, a little bit of basic background for me. Uh, now, this relationship was uh, about 20 years ago, and it was with a guy that I worked with, and uh, we moved in pretty pretty quickly after, like, just only really a few months. And um, I'm going to talk about, as well, his relationship with his parents as well, because I think talking about uh, partners, in-laws too, is really or your in-laws potentially too, is really important. And I was engaged to this guy too, but happily it didn't go any further than engagement. So so how about you, Jenny? Have any, any background in on your situation? Oh my gosh. Well, so many things are similar. This was a guy I worked with. Um, we moved in very quickly together. And yeah, that relationship with his parents turned out to be quite telling in terms of uh, the dynamic between the two of us. And the toxicity. Okay. okay. So do you want to go further into that relationship with about with his parents as well? Because I think sometimes that can be like a massive red flag. Yeah, you know, it was it was um where to start. So I I will say at first I was I was pretty young. I was in maybe 20 years old when I met this guy as a as an intern. Um and he was as working as a full-time person there. Um, it was a few miles, few hours away from where I lived and went to school. And like you said, moved in really quickly together. I had had so much go on before I met this person. So all the things I brought to the relationship that, um, you know, helped to land me in this toxic place. Um, I had come from my, my mother had been married several times. I had had abusive stepfathers. There was a lot there that had really undermined my own self-worth to begin with. So meeting this, this great guy and we're unpacking our stories and our histories and mine is, well, I'm pretty much broken <laughs> and I'm trying to figure things out. Um, and his story is, wow, I come, my family is perfect. I don't have anything. You know, we, we suburbs, wow. Pennsylvania, we are perfect. Wow. And I was like, wow, you still want to hang out with me. That's great. <laughs> but that was a big red flag, right? I mean, wow. But so you were like grateful. I was, I was, I was like, wow, I can't believe this guy, this full grown person who has a job and everything and comes from a perfect family would actually want to spend time and attention on me. Wow. Wow. So it's slightly different uh, with my situation because uh, now, uh, now I think I see that there's that, that a theme here with these relationships is there's like always a pity story. Okay. 
And with my ex-fiance, the pity story was his father had died very suddenly of heart attack. And the story was that my um, my ex hadn't actually been talking to his father when he died. So there was all this remorse and guilt because he said that he loved his dad and got on really well with him. But that seems to be a contradiction if they weren't talking to each other when he died. Mm-hmm. And his mother, wow, uh, I met her once. And I think I met her only because he wanted to go and get some stuff from his ha- from her house. So it wasn't like a big, let's meet the, you know, kind of uh, boyfriend's mother kind of thing. Or, you know, later when we're engaged, the mother-in-law to be. She didn't say a single word to me. Wow. Absolutely nothing. It was like I wasn't there. It was, it was, it, now looking back, it was like, it was, how did I not know that that was, how did I take that? How did I not raise it with him? How did I just think that that was normal? You know? Yeah, yeah. Unacceptable. Yeah. And did, you actually, did you think it was normal? Did you think that, um, well, okay, so you know something's wrong, but do you blame it on yourself or did you think, you know, there was something weird with her or did you just like... I, I, th- I thought it was completely me. I thought it was, I thought there must be something wrong with me. Um, I, I, I would say that maybe he'd said something horrible about me, but I don't, I don't, I didn't think any of that. I just thought my immediate thought was just, I'm to blame in some way for, for how she's not paying me any kind of notice. But interestingly, through our previous chats that we've had, what I've realized is the whole relationship with my ex was the same relationship as my parents. So my father's always been the very dominant one, the one that's always been really in charge. And this was the same relationship with my ex. And I was I was sliding into the role of being the good girlfriend slash fiance slash wife who would have just run along behind him. And, you know, when he clicked his fingers, I would have gone running. And I'm only I've only just made that parallel now. And this was like, you know, I was I was in my early 20s when I was well, I think I was 20. So I've only just made that that link now. That's the way I was going. And that's Isn't it funny how how well groomed we were to be saviors, to be the person that takes on all the burden of all the wrong and, and yeah. tries to make everything so right. Yeah, the rescuers to to kind yes. of I you know my it became what it became with him was every time he was kind of badly behaved it was blamed on his his grief over losing his father everything everything if he if he insulted me if if he drank too much and got obnoxious you know when he hit the wall he, it was always kind of this undercurrent of and I would make excuses for him as well saying that he behaved like that because of the loss of his father. So I was, you know, I kind of went along with it. It was the same, it was his pity story, but I used it as his excuse as well to the way that he was treating me. We did actually end up having a similar story here too. Cause um, well, he started off saying his family was perfect. It pretty much very quickly um, became clear that the source of all of his problems and bad behavior and um, any kind of sadness or grief or anger 
was that his parents loved his sister and not him enough, that they were always um, undermining him or undercutting him or taking resources away from him to give to her. And, you know, that was his, his pity story. So did you actually see this happening? Did I, oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, yeah, actually did. I did. Yeah, bizarre stuff. Like we're sitting at dinner and his, you know, we're all home, like her, his sister's there with her fiance and we're there and everybody had to give their bones <laughs> to to this girl because she liked the bones. And it didn't matter if anybody else did. That was just what we did. She had like not only a birthday, but a half year birthday. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. It was, and, you know, oh, she, wow. they were like, they always told him, um, them growing up, we, we do equally for you guys. So when we save for your sister's wedding, you're going to get the same amount. No, they blew the entire wad on her Cinderella princess wedding. And when it came, you know, our turn, they're like, yeah, that's, you know, we kind wow. of blew our your sister sorry so can you so that the dynamic sounds like then sincerely that it was that the his sister who was the golden child and he was the scapegoat I do think that you know like I, I I've said before the apple didn't fall far from the tree his his I think um when we talk about that narcissistic tendency which you know I'm not a clinician I can't say that that's that's what it is but um, his mother was very, uh, very controlling, um, not nice at all. And, and a lot of those traits he ended up perpetuating. Wow, that's, fa that's fascinating because it, in, in kind of my experiences, it's usually the scapegoat is the one who is the empath. But in this case, it sounds like he reacted to it in a, in a, in a different way and, and kind of absorbed those traits and took them on himself and instead of kind of maybe sitting with them and healing from it, you know, this, I'm sure that future relationships will be the same, the same pity story he will regurgitate to the next person. So the other thing that, that from, from our conversations that all our, you know, our emails that have been going to and fro is also that, um, that, that with my ex, he seemed to drop out of nowhere. So I don't know if you can relate to this. So, so he had a flat in the, in the, in this town that was, uh, you know, a little way away from where we worked, about half an hour away, and and he'd he'd rented it out, and then he'd um, asked the tenants to leave, and then he moved back in, but but it was as it was as if because he'd been married before, so and it was just like I say he dropped out of nowhere because he had. He only had one friend that was like a longer term, I think, old school friend who also lived in the same town. But then he started a new job fairly recently, the same time as he'd moved back into his flat. He, um, it, there was no like history there, even though it had been his flat and he'd lived in it previously. It was just like he completely uprooted himself from his old life. His ex-wife had just disappeared completely out of the picture Compl wow. like she dropped off, off the face of the earth she wasn't living in that town anymore and I think now when I look back a little bit I'm like that to me now is a bit of a red flag that 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 she just dropped off and he dropped out of nowhere so it's like they had this life together and then they split 
and and he just started afresh. And I can see the pattern myself. I see the pattern with my father when he did a similar thing. He didn't split with my mum, but he effectively kind of um, lost all the um, good people that he was feeding from energetically in our area and just said, well, we're moving. That was it. We were moving because they'd like worked him out and he'd he'd lost all that admiration. And it was just, he didn't yeah. care where we moved to. The, the, the conversation was not, oh, let's move to this place. The conversation was, we have to move. Stick a pin in the country and we're going to move there. So can you can you relate to that? That part, you know, Jack was really good at making friends. He was really good. And not like he had a ton. He would have one or two good ones. So it wasn't like he dropped out of no place and had um, no history. He definitely, you know, had been living there for a little bit and had worked that job and had a housemate and and had relationships. There was always somebody though that was that was that scapegoat. Yeah. So, and I became <laughs> the scapegoat eventually, which is how he ended up with all the friends, and I did not when when we finally split. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I see what you're saying about the, you know, they use up all the good feeling and yeah. then they have to start over someplace else. Yeah. He would just blame it all on whoever else. Yes. And yeah. People yeah. Him so it might, it might well be that maybe um, like years down the line or maybe in the future, he might have to move again. I don't, it seems just seems to be a pattern that if they, they get so far when people start to work them out, that's, that's when they kind of, <laughs> You know, when their mask slips mm-hmm. and people start to truly see them, or they allow they allow their mask to slip, they can't be bothered with it anymore. And then that's when they they have to start afresh. But um, but so he ha- he already had a bit of history. See, that's the other thing as well. You're saying as well that um that you know they they were his friends. So I found with my ex that he didn't like me seeing my family or my friends. It was yeah. it was a fight. I had to. I felt like I had to kind of butter him up. You know, I had to kind of make him a nice meal and then wait until he'd had maybe one beer. So he was kind of a little bit more mellow, but not two or three, because then that might be when he got a bit feisty Um, because alcohol Mm. was a big thing with him. You know, I I could always, you know, it was like if he was fine, if he wasn't drinking. Um, And then I'd say, oh, you know, would you mind terribly if I, you know, go out for a couple of drinks with my friend or go and see my family the weekend. And, and it had to be phrased in such a way, kind of cooched. And I'd I'd always leave, I'd often leave it until the last minute to ask him as well. So it wouldn't be like I'd ask like, or I'd just drop it into conversation. Like I do casually now with my husband. I'm like, oh, this thing's happening next week. And he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. But but with him, it was like, oh, hang on, I'm seeing my friend tomorrow. I'd already arranged to see her. I wanted to see her. And it'd be Friday night. And I'd be like, I've really got to ask him now because it's only tomorrow. And he's going to be like more cross because it's. And you've got to manage it. You've got to figure out how to how to tame the beast. Yeah. 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 We had so with mine. Oh, I wasn't it wasn't cool for me to have any time alone with anybody. If I was on the phone with anybody, if it was a family member or my sister or a friend, he had to be on the other line. Wow. Which is like, and we would, we would fight about this. I'm like, what do you mean? You have to be attendant to all of my interactions with other people. I was like, well, why don't you want me there? Are you talking about me behind my back? He just flip it into something so outrageous. 
that, you know, you have, I, I would have no argument. I would just be like, no, of course not. But, you know, I couldn't describe to him. Yes. Uh, that it was like unreasonable. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. like completely unreasonable. Yeah. And my ex was exactly the same. He, mm. he wouldn't necessarily be on the mm. other line, but he'd always just be hanging around the door. Kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever see him, but I could almost imagine him with the glass up to the door, listening for, for what I was saying. And I never, I was really very careful. I never spoke about him. I never spoke about him. He, it was really strange. He became this kind of taboo subject. If, if he was mentioned by anybody, it was more like, um, especially like my family, less so kind of my friends. But it was like, yeah, he's fine. And then move, change conversation move on yeah. to something else. I, I I didn't want them prying. I didn't want them asking. I didn't want them to know what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but with my friend, I was like, yeah, I just told her absolutely everything because she was like a safe space and I knew that she wouldn't betray me. Or I certainly hoped that she wouldn't betray me anyway. Right. Um, but but um, that's what they do, isn't it? Is to isolate you from people. Yes. Yeah, the control, the isolation, then they get to control the entire narrative about yeah. who you are and what what you are and how that, you know, you become that scapegoat. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember um, the funny thing with my ex was that he had kind of like a, a female friend at work and it, and it was obvious that, that she fancied him mm-hmm. and and he didn't reciprocate, but but he was the one that he she he always ran to. So I remember we were having this discussion and this was before we had all the like really strict smoking bans, but I worked in an office where it was a smoking office. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he worked there too. Now you, we were all told that on interview, this is a smoking office. You, you accept that. That's it. That's, that's it. And, and he always made such a big fuss about it because this was um, a stage when he was going through like a hyper fit stage, you know, he was going to the gym all the time and all the rest of it, very concerned about his image always concerned about his image and so he would complain we went to dinner with some colleagues and he spent 15 minutes complaining about the smoking in the office but this was a time when I smoked or socially smoked at least so I was like in that position where I was like well I can't actually agree with you because I'm choosing to socially smoke so I can't be a hypocrite and say no you're absolutely right it's disgusting that they smoke in the office because I'm off outside in 10 minutes for a chat with the guy that we're having dinner with for a cigarette so I can't I can't join this conversation and he went off to the toilet and he was he was gone ages and I, and and I was like wondering where he was I didn't say anything to our, like our hosts and they eventually said where is he he's been gone ages so we went to look for him and he'd gone he'd walked out the house and he walked across town to this other colleague's house the, the woman that he got on really well with and was with her telling her all this stuff that we were all like ganging up on him and uh, and I wouldn't like agree with him about well you know you can imagine how it was wasn't it he wouldn't say oh she's a social smoker so she can't say anything I'd be painted out to be all this bad person that you know they all three of them were ganging up on me and and I didn't have anywhere else to go and poor me I had to come and come and see you had to come see someone who who cares about me and would agree with me and and she just sucked it right up you know she was just like yeah she she was in a bad place you know she was a target just as much as I was um but I was so embarrassed I was at first I was really afraid because we really didn't know where he was yeah and and this was like when mobile phones were not like what they are now 
Yeah. But he did have a mobile phone, but he only had to turn it off, and that was it. No one knew where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did eventually find him. But it, uh, then I was embarrassed that what, what he said, had he said to me to this guy. Horrifying. I mean, because you've done the deepest betrayal at that point, right? You've <clears throat> you've established yourself as a person separate from them. Yes. And that is the classic. I, I remember so many things like he, that he would do to let me know if, if uh, we weren't on the same wavelength. I would step out of the shower, Claire, and he would be glaring at me, like full on, like, and I'd be like, what? And he's, you know what you did. (laughs) I really don't. I would have been singing a song in the shower and he's taking the lyrics literally like my cheating heart means that, you know, he's, (gasps) and in terms of like being different from him, he would do the most outrageous things. And just like you said, like if I wasn't furious alongside him, we had, we, we were Jewish. We had, um, after our son was born, that you have a moil, he came to the house to circumcise our son. The rabbi was there. Our families were there. These people came to our house in the middle of a blizzard on a Sunday to do this free service for us. It was a volunteer thing, this doctor and the rabbi. And the doctor had even said to us, you know, sometimes the billing gets mixed up. If you get a bill, it'll be for a nominal amount. Please ignore it. Just, you know, call my office and let them know. We got the bill for $10. He wrote the most scathing, horrible letter to this man, this gentle, kind man who would come to our house on a Sunday in a blizzard to do something free for us for $10, called him a shyster, like completely went up one side and down the other and then didn't speak to me for three days because I didn't agree with him and I wouldn't sign the letter wow this man was the first person that I contacted after everything blew up and I got served with papers at night I called him the next day and made an appointment to go apologize to him just like I you know there was nothing I could do to stop that from happening I wasn't supposed to contradict but everything's blown up anyway. And I'm sorry that that happened mm. <laughs> just, and he said to me, he's like, I thought you were coming in here to tell me you were going to sue me. Wow. You know, that <gasps> when you describe this whole, this extreme behavior of yeah. like, you know, you've established yourself as separate from me. How dare you? What super dramatic thing can I do to, to punish you? For that? Yeah, Absolutely. And punish somebody else, and 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 this guy's just the kind of guy in the middle of it all, who's who's taking yeah. the wrath that that's not justified, not warranted, but just a way of venting his spleen on someone, or, or and punishing you, and then you're embarrassed, and then you yeah. apologize for his behaviour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like uh, guilt by association, I guess, but that whole you know it's dangerous to to be a person separate. Thank you for listening to part one of my chat with Jenny Long, uh, where we were discussing our previous partners and toxic behaviors that they demonstrated. I hope that that you got a lot from it. I hope that it's helped you. If you need to contact me, if you uh, need some support or any kind of help at all, then you can get hold of me at Claire, that's C-L-A-R-E, comebackbrighter at gmail.com and next week we'll have part two